Monday morning, 10 o'clock, you know what that means. And if you listen to any of our conversations throughout the course of the year with our man Jay Gruden, we talk about it all the time in particular close games, things like turnovers, penalties, all those intangible things usually make a difference, and that's the only thing that separated Kansas City and Cincinnati yesterday as the Chiefs win it on a late field goal by Harrison Butker thanks to a 15-yard penalty. And Jay Gruden joins us now. Jay, as always, appreciate it, sir. And we all, we often talk about details, Jay, and the attention to them. And a 15-yard penalty enables Kansas City to win this thing at the end of regulation. Your coach, you've been in the industry for a long time. You played, uh, mm-hmm. and that adage still remains true. When two great teams get together, it's usually something intangible that makes a difference. And yesterday it was a big penalty against Cincinnati that provided the difference, did it not? Oh, yeah, for sure. There's no arguing that. I mean, it, it's a shame because he was flying to the ball, and every coach, every defensive coach, every head coach te- teaches fly to the ball, run to the ball, and he was flying to the ball and unfortunately pushed Patrick about a yard out of bounds and cost him the game. I mean, but there's – like a lot of people have a problem with the NFL being soft, Jay, and thinking, oh, you know, like there's no way a player can stop that momentum, can control himself in that spot. I think that's a bunch of BS. You just have – I mean, listen, you just have to have more control. Yeah, You know, it's like me going to a buffet. I've got to have more self-control, Jay, you know? Yeah, I mean, I know that's hard. It's hard for it a lot of people. <laughs> it is but, hard. But you're right. You're right. I mean, it's, it, he's clearly running out of bounds, and and you just feel for the kid. I mean, he, he's just hustling, running over the football, and unfortunately uh, pushes him out of bounds. I think he could have avoided it. As much as I like to get on referees on this show, I think that was the right call. I think the intentional grounding on Joe Burrow was horrific. I think there's some other horrible calls in that game, but uh, that call I think was the right one. Jay, let's talk about that, though. And and Chris and I have kind of thrown out that question here in the first hour. We we all see the mistakes. We all see the failures by the officials. In the playoffs, we see this replay assist that comes in and helps speed things along on certain things. What it, We can sit there and criticize it all we want. How do we make it better? I'm not of the adage that adding an eighth or ninth official on the field actually makes it better. But I do believe replay assist is something that, in the obvious, things like the Devontae Smith play, the Kadarius Tony, whether it's a catch or not catch, don't get into the subjectivity of pass interference, holding, whatever, but at least the obvious stuff that doesn't get uh, overturned, to me, is at least a way for them to help and help this game quickly, because I'm not sure adding an eighth or ninth guy uh, helps it that much. Agree or disagree? I 100% agree. We don't want another referee with flags in his pocket able to throw flags. That's what you do not want. If anything, take a guy off and utilize the replay assistant guy a little bit more. Um, but I, I just don't want to have too many flags. Sometimes, some of these games that I've watched this year have been unwatchable because of all the flags. And, mm-hmm. uh, you, you, I mean, you got to have a flow of the game. you got to let the players play, let the players decide it. Uh, but you do have to have some kind of method uh, to get the calls right. And I think the replay assistant uh, would help. Or does help. Well, you know, and and to me, my solution, and I don't know if it's fair or even feasible, but it's got to be, right? The NFL makes $15 bazillion a year is to have two officials in the eye in the sky. I think we saw this with the latest version of the XFL, or maybe it was last year's USFL, where you have all the technology, all the souped-up camera angles that Fox, you know, generates, and that the NFL has the reverse angles, the, the front angles, the ones that the, you know, TV doesn't initially show, 
Have it all available. Uh, my understanding is it's available immediately to New York. Have it all available in the stadium. Have two officials up in a skybox where uh, y- you know where they can stop the obvious. Hey guys, we totally screwed this. We totally missed this. We can't put this on Kyle Shanahan. He may not be able to see it. Like there may not be that angle, but we can see it's wrong. Stop the play. Let's make sure we get it right, regardless of who's wrong. Why put it in the hands of the head coach, Jay? You know how many responsibilities and how much chaos is going on in that headset. Why put it all on the head coaches? I don't get it. Yeah, it's hard because I was that guy for seven years with my brother with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and John would always ask me, "Hey, Jay, should I review it?" I was like, "I haven't seen a replay." Yeah, you know, I'm panicking, and they won't. A lot of times, when you're on the road, they purposely do not show the replay uh, for that advantage, and uh, you don't always get to see it. And I'm sure that that was the case with the 49ers. And Devontae knew he didn't catch the ball. That's why he was the one signaling the offense to hurry up, get down here, let's go, no huddle, run the inside zone and get the heck going before they have a chance to see the replay. And it was a great heads-up deal by Devontae to push that to a no huddle. Uh, but but you're right. You know, you like to see the replay assistant uh, chime in down there and say, hey, let's take a look at this. I don't think he caught it. Yeah, and and, and just as a follow-up, my my point is is not – like Kyle probably should have called a timeout. I, I, I think that's – I think that's the criticism of Kyle, not that he should have immediately challenged it, clearly if he or his coaches didn't see it, but they see Devontae running, they see the no huddle, they know it's close, they know it was fourth down for crying out loud, right? I mean, it's a huge play at that time. As it turns out, ultimately, it's not a big deal in terms of the final result, but it's a huge play sequence at the time. At least you call a timeout so that you give yourself two or three minutes to decide whether to challenge or not. But, But either way... I guess my main point would be don't put it on Kyle. Don't put it on the coaches up in the booth. Don't put it on a young Jay Gruden to do that for John Gruden. Um, again, if if the NFL – my understanding is they have all, all the angles, like, uh, immediately available in New York. So why can't we do that at the stadium? And, again, the obvious stuff <sighs> – like, we just got to get it right. Like, you see these sideline officials with the headsets next to the head coaches during the playoffs. For God's sakes, why can't we do more of this stuff in a league that makes $17 billion a year? Because here's another point, Jay, and you know this. They said, well, just make full-time officials. Well, they made, a, a, you know, 25 full-time officials, and the officiating has gotten worse since then. Worse, not better. Right? Is this is this your rant for the yes, day? Yes, I'm sorry. I, I mean, I mean, I mean, Jay, it's gotten worse. I mean, you can't tell me it's gotten I, I don't better. Think it's ever got, I, I, there's always issues with the officiating, in my opinion. I feel bad for him. It's a tough job. I, mean, I, I get that. Have a lot to look at and all that stuff. But you're right. I mean, there there should be a way to have New York or whatever to chime in. The speed of the game is fast. You know, the no huddles. Sometimes it's hard to get all those angles in time. And I think that was the case with the Philadelphia play to Devontae. I don't know, uh, but. But you're right. You know, it's unfortunate when you're a coach and you put in all this time and, and you're a player and you put on all this time and you have a couple of controversial calls that change the course of a game that uh, you can't control. You want to control the game with your play and your coaching on the field. You can't stand it when you lose a game and you go back and you watch a tape and if this guy would have called this penalty or this would have been called, we would have won the game. We would have been to the playoffs. We would have advanced to the Super Bowl. It's a it's hard pill to take, uh, but it's part of the game right now and it's a major part of the game. 
Jay, let's start with the AFC game. The fact that obviously two of the best at their position right now. No surprise. We're going to see these guys, I'm sure, a couple more times uh, in the future because of their youth, because of their skill, uh, and because of their organizations right now providing them with uh, excellent talent. But I think the fact that Mahomes did what he did in the fourth quarter at crunch time with all of those wide receivers being down. Jay, I, I told Chris earlier, I think there are two guys on an elite tier. I think we saw them in the same game yesterday with Mahomes and Burrow. Mahomes doing that with Sky Moore and Kemp and guys like that down the stretch, I thought that was very impressive from Patrick Mahomes yesterday. Well, I think he might be the only quarterback in the history of the league to be able to do something like that. Play on a bad ankle, right? And then throw to receivers who you've never heard of and still throw for 300 yards and two touchdowns. I don't know of any other quarterback that could do that. Seriously. I mean, there's, there's nobody. So he, he, in my mind, is in a class by himself when it comes to athleticism and the things he can do outside the pocket and the arm talent that he has. The grit and toughness that he displayed yesterday was another side of him that you probably haven't seen before. Now he's shown that side. So to me, he's by himself and everybody else can play the position uh, very well. Like Joe Burrow is a great quarterback. But I don't think anybody's in the class of Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Jay, I, I agree with you. Um, I, I mean, sometimes Mahomes does things that drive you a little batty, like that little underhand flip that almost fell into a Bengals' arms for, for an interception because it went off the receiver's uh, shoulder or chest plate or whatever. But, but, I mean, he makes so many great plays, like you said, that you just deal with some of that, right? Um, Burrow obviously didn't have the best game yesterday. Uh, first quarter was a disaster for Cincinnati all around, but they certainly made some improvements. Here's my question to you. In a somewhat close game, I was disappointed after the way they ran the ball last week, and I know it's a different defense, and I know it's Frank Clark and Chris Jones and, and what have you, but I was disappointed that they only ran the ball 17 times yesterday and only got Joe Mixon eight times. I know they got your favorite player, Samad GP, Ryan, man, uh, a, a touchdown run. I, I got it. I understand that, but they didn't run the ball enough in a close game, in my opinion, to help Burrow. I, yeah, I think uh, whenever you lose a game like this of this magnitude, uh, you're going to look back at the stats and you're going to wish you ran the ball more um, for a lot of different reasons. And one is to keep Kansas City off the field, Kelsey and Mahomes off the field, and two, to uh, you know, display your dominance and, and let your physical offensive linemen uh, do their thing because they're not a great pass-blocking team. One thing Cincinnati right. can do, and they proved it last week, was they can run the ball between right. the tackles. Uh, but this week they didn't choose. They cho chose not to do it as much. I don't know why they uh, went that route, but they did. Jay, isn't that the we talk about that all the time though about play callers? Isn't that the 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 thing that Brian Callahan and Zach Taylor wrestled with yesterday? Is is how much enough? Because I mean, you look at Mixon; he's eight for nineteen. I mean, he's you know barely averaging just over two yards a carry. I mean, a Burrow scramble kind of you know inflated their yardage and their average uh, a little bit in that game. But isn't that what separates the elite play caller and the really good play caller? Is you know sticking with it, even if it is just you know, a two-yard or a three-yard game. Because to me, part of helping your defense defend Mahomes and Kelsey and that crew is keeping them off the field. And sometimes you got to be willing to accept the two- or three-yard gain uh, in lieu of keeping those guys off the field for maybe another minute, minute and a half, two minutes, uh, you know, during the, the course of a quarter or a half. Yeah, for sure. And sometimes you get a little bit uh, – you get a little nervous or not nervous, but you have – Jamar Chase and you have T Higgins, you have Joe Burrow, you're like a second and nine. Let's 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 pistol the ball heck with this running game. And I think that's what happens a lot. Let's get our best players involved. 
instead of let's stick with the game plan. And a lot of times, if you don't get positive gain on first down or at least three or four or five yards on first down, then you're going to go back and say, hey, we're going to throw it. And I think that was what happened to Cincinnati's offense yesterday. They didn't do a very good job on first down at the running game, as you mentioned with the stats. But on second and 10, second and nine, they should have run the ball a little bit more probably. Jay Gruden with us every Monday, touchdown at 10 on the BetQL guest hotline. Uh, Jay, uh, two guys that you coached here, uh, one, Josh Johnson, had to come in as the fourth quarterback for the 49ers and obviously struggled, uh, couldn't handle the snap on the one turnover, and that's really what kind of ended that game, I think, right before the half after Philadelphia scored and made it 14-7, and then all of a sudden it's 21-7. Um, but you know, you had him, I I thought, you know, one of his best games probably in his NFL career was that win in Jacksonville. You guys came up with where you had the short passing game going and all the slants and all that stuff, a thoughts on him. And then B man, Trent Williams, who obviously, you know, well as well, uh, boy, Trent's an angry bear sometimes. And, and, and we all, we all kind of saw that coming, but I don't know if you could do that if you're Trent Williams. Yeah, uh, Trent is an angry bear, and, and uh, he's the best that his position has ever played the game, in my opinion. But uh, Josh, you know, Josh is a heck of a guy. To make as many appearances on teams as he has, 12 or 13 or 14, he's probably worn 12 different numbers. Uh, it just pays tribute to the character that he has and his ability to pick up a system. You know what I mean? It's not easy to translate system after system after system after system with all the different terminology and then learn it and retain it and then go out and try to play a game, especially in the playoff game. So hats off to him. Um, you know, it, it's tough as a coach and a play caller to have your fourth quarterback out there. I know it was. We went from Alex Smith to Colt McCoy to Mark Sanchez to Josh Johnson. He was our fourth. <laughs> uh, it, it's tough. Uh, but sometimes, you know, if you don't protect the quarterback, uh, that's what's going to happen. Jay, look, the NFL um... – you know, do we have to designate a third quarterback uh, just because we don't want to see what happened yesterday on the biggest stage? Sure, it's bad luck. I mean, guy gets banged on his ulnaral collateral ligament, and then the next guy gets a concussion. But does making a third quarterback active uh, make any difference in your mind in that game yesterday uh, for San Francisco? I think it does, and I never understood why they got rid of that rule. I think teams were starting to try to fudge with the rule and make their second quarterback be more of an athlete uh, to run down on special teams, and then if he got hurt, they could fake an injury and they'd bring in their third guy. But I think you got to have a third quarterback dressed on the field. I mean, the NFL, uh, there, there's too much money on the line and too many people watching these games to have – you know, Christian McCaffrey play quarterback mm-hmm. in a critical time in a game. You know what I mean? So uh, they're, they're, they have to take a look at that rule and make sure they have a third quarterback available. Um, one thing, and again, it it, it kind of maybe fueled how one-sided that game was uh, that I wanted to ask you about from a coaching standpoint, from an X and O standpoint. A lot of people had a problem with Kyle and uh, – uh, I guess it's Chris Furster. I think he's still the offensive line coach in San Francisco uh, who was here. They put the tight end head-to-head or one-on-one against Hassan Reddick on the play in which uh, Brock Purdy got hit and hurt on. Um, and, and and my point is, is yeah, I, ideally I don't want a tight end blocking Hassan Reddick. But, Jay, like you, you know this, right? You put a right tackle on Hassan Reddick, and if he gets beat, 
one-on-one, what's going to happen? Jay Gruden or Kyle Shanahan, in this case, is going to get hammered for not doubling him. And then if you double him, right, with the tight end and the right tackle, well, then somebody else might get through on the other side because teams are balanced with their pass rush. Philadelphia doesn't have just one pass rusher. So, like, what do you do as a play caller, designer, schemer, head coach in a case like that where you have an obvious great pass rusher, you can't double him every time, and you can't just say, well, let Mike McClinchy, the right tackle, go against him 60 times. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different things you can do. You can chip on your way out. But, you know, if you want to do any play action, and Kyle has been famous for his play action passing game, the play action has to look like the run. And the tight end is blocking on the running play, so he has to block a defensive end occasionally. Your quarterback has to understand that if he's in a wide nine or he's in a pass rush stance, you're going to have to be able to – you're going to have to step up probably. That guy's going to get home. You're going to have to get the ball out of your hands. I was a little disappointed Purdy didn't feel that and try to step up. I'm not blaming Purdy. Don't get me wrong. But you got to understand you have Tyler Croft blocking Hassan Riddick who's in a sprinter stance, odds are he's going to get home eventually. You better be ready to pull the trigger or get ready to step up and move up in the pocket. Now, Fletcher Cox is also winning over the right tackle or right guard, whoever it was, too. Yeah. That Philadelphia defensive line is sick, and they got 73 sacks. I think it's second most in the history um, for that reason. They get after the quarterback, and uh, they'll stop the run second, and they'll rush the passer first. Well, and and that's exactly – I mean, I didn't even think about all the different angles that you just possessed there. I, I was just thinking, like, okay, if you double them – Great. You got Hassan Reddick probably, but you got Fletcher Cox and you got a a bazillion other guys. Like you And then you lose a guy in pass in the pass route as well. Right. I mean, you keep right. your back in, you keep your tight end in, all of a sudden right. you got a three man route and they're dropping right. eight or dropping seven, and nobody's gonna be open. Right. So, so it's it, it, it is a tough deal. Right. So it sounds like in that case, I mean and that go figure your coach. I mean, you're almost like, well, listen, guys, <laughs> I mean, we can't double. We can't, uh, you know, we can't ask McClinchy by himself to go one-on-one 60-plus snaps a game. Like, you've got to do different things, like you said, and you've got to have the quarterback that, again, recognizes stance, alignment, pre-snap, what have you. It maybe, is, maybe that's too much on a young quarterback that was Mr. Irrelevant. I have no idea. But it sounds like you're of the mindset that, Kyle Shanahan would be unfairly criticized in that spot. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because of the fact that their meat and potatoes of their game is the play action and the run game. And to utilize McCaffrey, not only handing the ball off, but faking the ball to McCaffrey and dropping back and hitting your three-level throws with Ayuk and Samuel, uh, that's what got them in this position in the first place. It ain't because they you know, took seven-step drops and had passing game concepts all over the place. It was their running game and their play action game period. And uh, that's who they were. That's their identity. And unfortunately, Tyler Croft didn't get it done on that play. He's done it all year against other good pass rushers. They played good pass rushers all year. They played Aaron Donald. They played a lot of good teams with good pass rushers. Uh, Just that play, they didn't get it done. And unfortunately, Purdy got hurt. Jay, with the caveat being that the two weeks helps Kansas City get the receivers back on the field, they'll play. And obviously, Mahomes Mahomes has two more weeks now to rehab that ankle a little bit. In your mind, Kansas City offense, defense, Philadelphia offense, defense, which is the best unit of the four, and does that give them the slight advantage going into this game? Wow. I think the best unit is probably Philadelphia's offense, offensive line. Uh, the way they dominated and pushed around San Francisco, who's supposed to be the best defense in the league, was really impressive. I mean, they were pushing. They were getting four or five yards down the field on some of these inside zones, and they just and, and they knew they were going to run it. They couldn't stop them. And uh, Jalen didn't have his best game. Um, 
but they still were very effective. They didn't really get A.J. Brown involved, um, and they will next week, they, so they have that ability. So I think Philadelphia's offense is the key, and I think they're going to overpower Kansas City's defense. Awesome stuff as always, Jay. Appreciate the visit. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Jay. You got it. Thank you, guys. You got it. Jay Gruden joining us here. You heard his thoughts on the two games yesterday, also the officiating, and that's the big question this morning. And, you know, is, is how do we improve it? The biggest stage now of the year is coming up. Uh, again, all-star officials, uh, it's going to be, you know, two weeks for them to prepare as well. They're going to watch a lot of tape on these teams, watch the defensive backs, do do guys try to do uh, certain things to receivers and how do the defenses approach, you know, chucking at the line of scrimmage? Do they back off? Do they grab? Do they got guys that do a lot of clutching and grabbing out there? I mean, it's two weeks to prepare for the officials as well. We're asking how can we improve the officiating? And you heard what Jay said. We don't need an eight and ninth guy out there. Let's just help replay assist, you know, have a more active role uh, in this thing uh, going into the biggest game of the year. And I'll throw out to you this question, as I just asked Jay, Chris, and you can answer it on the other side. Which is the, the best unit? Which is the best unit coming into this game? Is it offense, defense? Both teams have great kickers. Both teams have great punters. Uh, what is it? What's going to make the difference in this game coming up for the Super Bowl in Glendale? 301-230-0980. That's how you get to us here on a Monday morning right here on the Team 980 and streaming live for free on the Odyssey app. Halfway home on a Monday morning, talking conference championship games. Some commanders notes in the 11 o'clock hour as well to pass along just for informational purposes. Speculation purposes, too. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much what it is right now. 301-230-0980. How do we improve the officiating? And heading into the Super Bowl, just on first glance, and again, the mm-hmm. caveat is I gave it to Jay Gruden, assuming Valdez, Scantling, Tony, those guys can all go at wide receiver for the Chiefs because they weren't on the field at the end of the game. Smith Schuster, right? All three of those guys were were out. Um, you know, if they can go, what's the what's the best unit in this game? Philly O or D, Kansas City O or D. Both teams, I think, special teams will wash. I think uh, both teams have excellent kickers, excellent punters uh, in those categories. They got elite guys on both of those levels, so I don't, I don't see an issue there. In your mind, what's the best unit in this game? All right, so. How did Jay answer it again? Philadelphia O because of the way their offensive line kind of uh, right. Oh, pushed right. he said San the Francisco line. around yesterday. Okay. So I don't know if you're going to agree with this. I don't know if I'm right. But my gut tells me without thinking about this for long, I was trying to think about it during the break, and I was trying to go back and forth between all the different units. You just mentioned the Kansas City receivers banged up. We know the Kansas City defense is not the best unit, but they did an admirable job yesterday. I think it's the Philadelphia defense. Oh, Chris Russell coming over to the side of common sense. Oh, come on did over. I, did I steal yours? Come on over and join. Attaboy. Attaboy. Join the club. At a boy. And here's why. I'll make my case real quick. Yep. And then I'm going to give you some metrics after you make your point. What's the one thing that can make a difference in a in a game that not every team has? Pass rush. Elite pass rush. Elite pass rush. It is elite pass rush, 
And even with two more weeks of rehab, it's still not going to be physically elite Mahomes, probably. And that's an athletic group. Reddick can go get it. Mm-hmm. Um, Fletcher Cox, Fletcher Javon Cox, Hargrave. Hargraves. I mean, it, it's just such an elite group. Now, Mahomes going to be far. Uh, Mahomes going to be far better uh, than anything. You know, Philadelphia has mm-hmm. seen mm-hmm. Uh, in its playoff run. Okay, I mean, let's let's not you know let let's not confuse the issue here. This is the elite guy in the league that they're going up against in Mahomes, but the pass rush can be such an you know such a, a thing that can be such an equalizer. It may not prevent you know Mahomes still completing twenty twenty five passes during the course of the game. But it can create more incompletions, getting Mahomes off timing, things of that nature. That's to me where the eliteness of the pass rush, because it's not just one guy. You can you can do everything you can to eliminate one guy. Mm-hmm. You can double and have a running back even, you know, and have three guys essentially between that guy and your quarterback. The problem with Philadelphia, it's a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. And that's where I believe Philadelphia's defense makes a difference in this game because of the eliteness of that pass rush. I agree. So and, it, and and don't forget again the coverage guys on the back end benefit from that but they're also pretty damn good themselves. I mean oh, yeah. I mean Slay and and Bradbury are two of the you know better corners in the NFL. I, I, I Gardner Johnson, Avante yeah, Maddox, yeah. I mean Avante Maddox oh, was back yesterday. Great I mean, slot. Avante Maddox was outstanding really against the run yesterday. Guy. Holy yeah. cow. Now, granted, you know San Francisco was only running the football. Right. Um, but their only real blemish was on that McCaffrey mm-hmm. touchdown run in which he just played, you know, uh, bouncy ball you know, off of like three or four defenders. Let, let me give you the metric that will kind of summarize this, okay? Now, I did not look at this before. I know you did not look at it before. But pro football focus, okay, which grades, again, every play, every team, every whatever. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of you people think you know more football than pro football focus. Trust me, you don't. Trust me, you don't. And that includes all of you in the media, okay? Uh, On the commander's beat, that all think you know more. You don't, okay? I don't. Would you include yourself in that group? Yes, I don't. I know more football than Jay. No, I'm just teasing. That's an old. That's an old bit. I love my guy Jay Gruden. Love him. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, the number one cumulative defensive team grade in the NFL, eighty six point five out of a hundred cumulative over the course of the regular season and including their two postseason games, eighty six point five out of a hundred. I can break it down a little bit more. Sixty seven point eight run defense, which has been if they had a weakness, that was it. Again, it's been much better of late since adding Sue and uh, uh, and getting um, what's his name back, uh, uh, the big dude from Georgia, uh, Jordan Davis. Mm-hmm. Is that him, uh, right? That's his name, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, who else did they add? Linval Joseph. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's been better. Sue was really good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very active. Um, their pass rush grade out of a hundred. You want to guess what it is? I'd Cumulatively, say I'm going to go ninety-two. Wow, that's pretty close. You had the right numbers, 90.2 out of 100. So the Kansas City Chiefs now, their defense, not not as bad as maybe some 
and maybe and again, this is a byproduct of pass rush, right? When you can get after it with Jones and Clark and and so on and so, on, the Kansas City Chiefs defense fifth overall in the NFL at seventy eight point three. You want a, a weird anomaly, right? Remember how how everybody was just shredding the Vikings defense down the stretch in the postseason. Daniel, oh, how could you let Daniel? Jo- PFF has the Vikings as the fourth highest rated defense. Played great, some garbage offenses, know, though, during the course of the regular season, man. I know. I, I'm with you. I, I'm with you. I'm just saying. they, th- A team that allowed 10 more points than they scored, has they have them as the fourth graded. So, so again, that provides you some context. Now, let, let me just give you um, the offensive numbers before we go, because this is – you know, you could have also gone here from the standpoint of the numbers are really good. The two top offensive graded teams in the league via PFF for the entire year are matching up in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Kansas City, number one at 85.4. Philadelphia, number two at 84.0. So, again, you have the number one defense – the number uh, versus the number one offense in terms of PFF grades, right? You have the number, f- uh, let me see, the number five defense versus the number two offense via PFF cumulative grades. So, I mean, theoretically, and again, this is the first time the number one seeds have met since 2017, and I guess it's only happened 13 times since seeding became a thing in 1975. Pete, I was two and a half years old mm-hmm. when seeding became a thing. And, of course, the seeding has changed as we've evolved and added more playoff teams and taken away the the uh, the, um, uh, you gotta remember the, the buy we, from the two seed in the I last couple say, of years. When we first started the seeding, though, back when we got Steelers-Cowboys back-to-back two different times mm-hmm. uh, between uh, 74 and 80, uh, the Raiders were awesome at that time. Vikings with Fran Tarkenton, uh, fairly awesome at that time, even though they could never win the big game when they got there. Now that we have so much more mediocrity in the league with the expansion, um, you had you had unbelievable depth on all of those teams back then. And as we've gone through the years and spread it all out more, that's why you don't have as many number one seeds that are making it through. The talent, the good talent, elite talent, is just spread out more uh, throughout the league than ever before um, right now. 301-230-0980. Let's get some phone calls in here. Let's talk to our man Mark in Landover Hills. What's up, Mark? Oh, top of the day to you, Pete. Top of the day to you, Chris. Mark, cock-a-doodle-doo. <laughs> right back at you, Chris. <laughs> hey, hey, <answer> your- <laughs> Pete's like, I can't believe I've got to deal with this for three hours a day. <laughs> you should have seen the look on oh, Pete's face. <laughs> but anyway, getting back to you guys' questions. Hey, man, I got to go with Jay, man. I think that, man, you watch that game. Man, their offensive – the Eagles' offensive line, man, they they really did do a lot of pushing. You look at those scores they ran in, man. There were some holes, like my pop used to say, from the Anacostia Flats, you could have drove a Mack truck through. And, man, I, I just think their offensive line is, is it could be the key to that game also. I, I told you guys the other day it was going to be the key to that because – to then winning the game against San Francisco. And if you notice, man, there a lot of those early plays in that game, 
the San Francisco defense were being pushed. And when they did make a play, they were trying to pump themselves up because they knew what they were coming up against, man. And, hey, you gentlemen, make sure you have a good day, Chris. Thanks, Mark. As Appreciate you, all. Let's go to Jeff in Vienna. Jeff. Morning, gents. What's going on? On your way back from the natty? Uh, I'll be on the plane about 3 o'clock this afternoon or whatever. Just probably more frustrated than anything. Um, You know, the O-line clearly didn't hold up. I'm amazed at how many people on Twitter are claiming that Osai did not hit Mahomes eight feet out of bounds and that Mahomes was flopping. And, um, you know, I think I I learned as a Maryland basketball student and a Maryland basketball fan, if if you let the game come into the control of the officials, it's usually not going to end up how you want it to. It it just – there's so many things that were wrong last night that you can't even really put a catalog on them. And yesterday afternoon, I don't want to take away from the afternoon game. But to me, the biggest problem with refereeing in the NFL at some point in time is going to come down to gambling. You know, those of us who bet 10, 15, 25 bucks on a game, eh, you know, whatever, you start getting some whales and some big hitters losing significant amounts of money on NFL games because of what is perceived to be officiating. They're going to go to the NBA or they're going to find somewhere else to go or they're just going to go to the casino because they think they have better odds there. And I don't know, Pete, you know, do we need the all-star teams? Do we need better training when, you know, you look at all the holding that went on on that play where Mahomes eventually got run out of bounds, you know, the, the pass interference and all the other stuff, you know, losing Boyd didn't help us. Joe didn't play well. He made a bad decision on that third and four when he threw the ball that got tipped and got intercepted with, Hurst was standing wide open at the sideline at the first down marker. There's, there's a million things you can go over, and uh, the the bad news now is it's on the mock drafts and the Reds and the Nats, unfortunately. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot to look forward to in that. Dude, road. hey man, in that road man. Look, my daughter is so oh, funny. Oh man, it, boy. My my daughter came downstairs literally crying because she thought Bro and the boys got hosed. Uh, a little bit uh, down the stretch in that game. But you know what, though, Jeff? Here's the thing. The difference for you and people like me and other Washington Commanders fans is you know your team is going to be right back there again knocking on the door next year. Some of us have been waiting since 1992. I had a lot of hair still back in 1992, okay? Um, So... There's that, okay? There's that. You know your team is going to be in contention every year for high stakes, literally for the next five, six years, barring significant injuries. You know your team is going to be right there. And and this rivalry between Burrow and Mahomes, I think it's only going to grow greater. I think it's only going to get greater between these two. Yeah. Yeah, and I would I would think when I don't know Chris, what date is the new year league start? Is it at sometime in March or something? Uh, yeah, like that? it's in mid March. I'm not sure if it's. Uh, I, I would have to look at the league list. Uh, it's like right, usually right around March 15th, but I don't have the exact date if I'm being totally honest. Yeah, but it's usually mid. You know, it, it's, it's it's right around St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, you'll see Burrow signed to a to an extension sometime quickly after that happens. Uh, Mixon and Boyd are likely not to be around. 
Uh, we're going to lose one of the safeties, but we've got a ton of solid guys on rookie deals. Right. Uh, Samaje P. Ryan is really. Yeah, uh, P. Ryan's a free agent too, right? Uh, is Mixon a free agent too? Yeah, Mixon's on his second contract, and he, it's his last year next year, and I think he's going to oh, rake year. in like fourteen okay. million. I, he could be a casualty, but you know the future's bright for all the crap people give the Bengals about not having scouts in their front office and everything. Somebody go back and look at their drafts in the last three or four years. They've all been really solid. The biggest news yesterday, win or lose, was that they signed Pitcher to an extension, and he's not going anywhere. That's yep. great news. I knew so, that would make your day. I, I agree. I agree with you, Pete. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, Appreciate I, you. I agree with you, Pete. I, I, I think, yep. Hang in there. Uh, that's a tough loss. I mean, listen, I think it's easier to absorb that loss, though. If you're the Bengals, A, because of what they did last year, one, even though that was a tough loss in the Super Bowl. I mean, listen, there's one win. One winner. Mm-hmm. 32 teams, one team. Yep. One team wins. So, the, like, but I can see what's going to happen next year. If they don't win a Super Bowl, all of a sudden Zach Taylor is going to become the coach that can't get – it's not going to be Joe Burrow, the quarterback that can't get them there. It's going to be Zach Taylor. thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's going to be – can Zach Taylor – Blithering idiots on Fox and and ESPN. Should should the Bengals fire Zach Taylor because they only won thirteen games Say in the regular season? He doesn't season. get a job this year, and this is so anti Cincinnati because they don't spend money mm-hmm. in this type of uh, way. But if he doesn't get a job this off season, wouldn't the wouldn't wouldn't the great question for next year be how about Sean Payton with Joe Burrow? <laughs> It wouldn't be Mike McCarthy anymore. But hey, how about Sean Payton with Joe Burrow mm. and Jamar Chase mm-hmm. and T. Higgins and those guys? Well, wait. wait but a wait second. a minute. Could Sean... Sean Payton? Could Sean Payton be? He might have a job at some point. Could he? Could he? Maybe. Where, Where might Who? that be? Huh? Rex Ryan hypothesized yesterday. And it's strictly just spewing it out there. We know that. We'll tell you what he said coming up next. Right now, the rooster tells us what's trending. All right, as we've been talking about all morning, the refereeing and the officiating controversy, how to fix it, there's no easy answer, obviously. But Super Bowl 57 is indeed set. You can hear it 13 days from right now here on the Team 980 and the Odyssey app. First time the two top seeds will meet since 2017. The Philadelphia Eagles easily disposing of Kyle Shanahan and the San Francisco 49ers with all of their quarterbacking issues. And the Kansas City Chiefs outlasting Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals on a game-winning Harrison Butker field goal at Arrowhead, not Burrowhead, as the Chiefs made very clear in the postgame celebration. So, again, Andy Reid going to go against his former team, the Philadelphia Eagles, as he tries to win his second Super Bowl as a head coach in his third appearance. Meanwhile, the Arizona Cardinals have requested interviews with both Bengals coordinators, defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo, Uh, and also offensive coordinator Brian Callahan, son of Bill, for their head coaching job. Uh, According to multiple reports, Callahan also in the mix for the Colts job. This is Anarumo's first opportunity. And the Wiz, yeah, the Wizards look for five in a row tonight right here on the Team 980 pregame coverage at 745 on 980 and the Odyssey app in San Antonio. Maybe the Wizards 
get some of that Royal Rumble flavor from over the weekend down on the Riverwalk as they try and get, again, that fifth win in a row. And that's what's trending. The big name of the offseason has been Sean Payton. The name that may still be unemployed at the end of this coaching cycle might be Sean Payton. And one of the reasons why is maybe a team looking to get its ducks in a row quack, quack. Um, would, would be waiting with ownership change coming up in a month or two. And maybe the teams that are dancing with Peyton and thinking about paying that big price tag, um, not seemingly ready to do that right now uh, with the former New Orleans Saints coach. Cowboys, of course, jettisoning Kellen Moore uh, over the weekend. They're talking about McCarthy potentially calling the plays coming up there in Dallas next season. And, of course, everybody keeps waiting for Jerry to fire Mike and hire Sean. It just hasn't happened now uh, for a couple of seasons. But over the weekend, Rex Ryan floated this air biscuit. But I'm telling you, watch the the Washington Commanders in this. Huh? Look at well because here's why <laughs> I know. But here's why, Randy. This is why I say it could happen. There's a strong possibility that there's going to be a change in ownership. All right, and when that happens, these owners aren't tied in to that coach. And and to me, I can see a Sean Payton. Tom Brady, we talk about Miami. Well, it wasn't just the Miami contact and Brady. It was the Sean Payton. It was going to be that marriage of those two. So I could possibly see that down the road. If if he doesn't sign with the Raiders immediately, I could see this as a possibility. You're talking new owner. All right. So Uh let's, let's, let's unpack this. First of all, what Rex says at the end there about the Brady Peyton connection, absolutely true. They've been reportedly joined at the hip. Remember the whole Miami rumors, all that. Interestingly enough, Schefter debunked any chance that Miami would be in, which is probably the right thing to do, even though they've got a disaster on their hands with two in his concussions. That's a different argument. Still in protocol, by the way. Absolutely. A month later. Um, Peyton and Brady have been connected. Whether whether it's legit or not, don't know, but there's a lot of smoke there. What he says, Pete, about the commanders and why that's that audio is so juicy via, um, and by the way, courtesy of ESPN and um, also um, our guy, um, who put that out there? Uh, AJ from, um, uh, from Front Office Sports. <sighs> He's saying, I can see, hey, you know, I'm trying to connect the dot. Not that he said, I'm trying to connect the dots. But he said, I could see how new owners come in. You know, they want to clean slip. We, we've talked about this, right? We've talked about, is it feasible? Is it possible that a new owner, whoever it is, Bezos or somebody else, you know, Byron Allen, whoever, um, Josh Harris, whoever it might be, comes in, gets formally approved in late March, or even, even in May, when there's quarterly meetings, or maybe even by a special vote in April. I don't know. 
but we know it wouldn't happen before the end of March. We've talked about, is it feasible that a new owner could come in and do something a little bit wonky, a little bit off the wall, and fire Ron Rivera and fire the staff and clean the slate? and, and Or are they just stuck? And, and, and I refuse to believe they are just stuck and that there's nothing you can do because it doesn't make conventional sense. A new owner is going to look to make a splash. And now this is the second connection. Remember what Cowherd said yesterday and what Rossini reported. Now, Rossini, again, did not report anything with the commanders, just saying a team lying in wait, getting their ducks, if they can get their ducks in a row. Cowherd, whose buddies with Sean Payton, said it's the commanders, or it could be the commanders. And now Rex Ryan, I don't know if Rex Ryan is just trying to, again, connect the dots, which is what it sounds like. But he put Brady and Brady and Payton together with the commanders. And again, people are going to think that's absurd. People are going to think no chance. People are going to think there's no way it can happen. People already think all this. I'm telling you, people, I don't know if it'll happen. I don't know if it can happen. I'm not telling you it's likely to happen. All I'm telling you is it, do not dismiss it. It is a possibility. Nobody wants to pay Sean Payton right now. $25 $25 million a year, give him full control and pay two first-round picks or a first and a second or whatever Mickey Loomis is exactly looking for. And Tom Brady is not ready to make a commitment yet. It can happen in late March. It can happen in April. It can happen in May. And I suppose, damn it, it could happen as late as June 1st. There's also another offensive coordinator candidate on, on the horizon, the Washington Commanders may be setting a record for most people interviewed or attempting to interview from a offensive coordinator perspective. We'll tell you about the latest name to surface next right here on the Team 980 and streaming live for free on the Odyssey app.